Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Nathalie Pinsky. I know I said I was going to stop um, narrating and talking to you, um, but I just did two small, short recordings of stuff going on that just kind of hit me, and I wanted to um, talk about it with you. So I have these two recordings, and then I actually have an interview with um, an Ole who has been here for four years. So we're just going to play it all through, and I want to thank you all for your uh, feedback, and thank you for writing and contacting me, and please continue. I love it, and um, here we go. We're going to play it. Hey, something just happened that has happened over and over again since I've lived here, and it's actually, um, I see it as a positive part of life as a foreigner, as an immigrant, uh, someone who doesn't speak the language or share the culture. It's called avoiding small talk. It is a pleasure for me to have this. Um, And it's something that is great about living in an Israeli community. I don't have to suffer through small talk, whether it's outside of the shul after services or just bumping into people. Um, I, I don't have to do it. Uh, I just, you know, walk straight ahead. I say hello. People say hello and move on. But if I was Israeli and like I see the other women here, for instance, at the pool, you know, you bump into each other. You see people that maybe you don't don't normally see in your life. You have, you know, you run into people you've seen, you know, from years ago and maybe you had children in the same class. And I see this and the, the women, and it's just so funny what they say to each other. And it's like suffering. They're suffering through these horrible, inane conversations you know just filling time and it's so painful to watch and I'm so glad I don't have to do it and if that gives any of you um, any help to uh, what you have in store for you if you move here and and do live in an Israeli community just know you're not going to have to suffer through through that small talk anymore and it's a great part of being a foreigner here hello everybody I'm speaking to you um, from the pool. You can still hear, you can probably hear the waves, the, the swimming. It's still open. We have another week. The kids go back to school tomorrow. So this has pretty much been like the last week of the summer vacation. Um, we had the big swim race yesterday. I'm sure I've told you uh, about that. Something I started 11 years ago here. And it was pretty disappointing this year, pretty low turnout. I take all the blame. I did not pour my heart into the swimmers like I used to. I used to do a race every week and um, the kids looked forward to it and I even had uh, the kids help me and time each other and they would practice. And even the kids who were just learning to swim would see this going on so it would encourage them to swim. And um, I just, I don't know, I didn't get into it. I, I was really busy with the, with the secondhand store. We did a renovation this summer. I had to manage that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm disappointed in myself. And, um, you know, some of the mothers came up to me. And also I didn't do a swimming course for the, the advanced swimmers, the, the junior lifeguard course. So some mothers came up to me, what happened, Natalie? Why didn't you do the course? 
I just felt really bad. So I was said to them, it's all my fault. The, the races are back, it's my fault because I didn't pour my heart into it this year. And they were just so forgiving. That's why I wanted to, that's why I'm telling you this. The Israeli people are so forgiving, you know? <laughs> They're like, no big deal, next year. Well, no big deal, you can't do it all. And they were just so nice to me. And I mean, I felt so bad because I want these kids to have like good memories and I want them to build themselves up the way I did in the pool because I did not do well in the classroom. Um, and I wanted them to learn about competition, about winning and losing and how you get back up and you do it again. That, that's my whole thing. You know, I think that's very, very important to learn. But anyway, the, the parents were just very, very nice, very forgiving. And I was so upset with myself. Even like the night before I called a friend of mine, she's a gymnastics teacher. And I said to her, what did I do wrong? You know, what, is it, it is my fault, right? She's like, you, Natalie, you can't do it all. People think it's easy. It's not easy what you do, what you've been doing every week, these races. You know, it, it's not just like, it's not just showing up. That is a big part of it, showing up. I have to like come during the boys' time, five o'clock on a Monday, five o'clock on Tuesday, and you have to organize it, you have to write it up, you have to have to publish it, you have to gather the, the people to help you, you have to clear the pool. It's, it's, it is a big um, investment. <laughs> uh, and she said, people think it's easy. And uh, then she started telling me stories of people who asked her to do things, and she sometimes says no. So I, I wanted to tell you the. I think it's a, there's good and, and there's bad. There's good that the Jewish people, the Israeli people, are forgiving. Um, they don't hold a grudge. I think that's a very healthy way to be in general, not to hold a grudge. But then on the other side of that, you could say, well, do they learn? Do we learn from our mistakes? And when you forgive so easily and so quickly, is that a good thing? Um, you know... Look at the corona situation, the way people behaved. Yeah, they forgot about that. That's gone. Is that a good thing? Did they learn? Did anyone get any justice? Um, any apologies? All those people who felt forced to take um, an unproved, untested uh, test labeled as a vaccine, and then they got corona anyway, so they injected themselves in with something in their body that weakened their immune system, you know, uh, is that is that something you just forget and forgive? Like, I don't think that's a good thing, unnecessarily. Um, so that's what I wanted to tell you today. And another point that I think was good, you can only do what you can do, and you have to do what's important and focus on what's important. And my primary role is a, is a mother, it really is. And I have to take care of myself and take care of my family. And um, that I am trying very hard to do, take care of my marriage. And I'm telling all of you that, everyone listening, I, I have, you know, friends write to me and listeners write to me. Um, this show is about promoting moving to Israel, making Aliyah. It is not about breaking up families. It is not about destroying lives. Um, yes, Israel is amazing. Yes, I'm so glad we live here, and I think our family is strong and stronger because of it. I think our marriage is stronger because of it. Um, it probably is going to be that way for many people 
because you come together. It's a, it's a, it's like an adventure. You know, you become a team. Um, but you have to both want to come, and it does have to be a team effort. Don't, you know, break up your family just to live in Israel. That's not good. I don't want that. God doesn't want that. Nobody wants that. The goal is not just to come to Israel at any cost. The goal is to live in the Jewish homeland. And if it takes longer, it takes longer. If it takes um, support and at least realizing and, 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 and being an advocate for us, that's okay too. Um, I think everyone can make it here. But um, I don't know everybody. I don't know everybody's circumstances. And um, our weaknesses and our strengths are different. You know, there are people who do very well where they are, and they will not feel that success here. And um, it might destroy them. And if you, you know, can't do it, then you can't do it. I'm, I'm not trying to give anybody a guilt trip or make anyone feel you're lesser of a person if you don't live in Israel, not at all, okay? I know very, very strong people who left for, you know, justifiable reasons. But it is a Jewish homeland. It is the place we all really should um, live. I, I really hope more and more people do come, and I will do my best to help. But I'm not an advocate for breaking up families or to come at any cost. Um, being a parent, being a mother, very, very important job. And um, just like I wasn't able to do everything this summer, not none of us are able to do everything. We just aren't. We're human. We do what we can. We do the best we can with what we have. Um, okay, let's get some details down here. Nathaniel Warshe, you live in Efrat. When did you move to Israel? We moved on, we made Aliyah on July 24th, 2019. So we're from Detroit and we made Aliyah from the Motor City to the Holy City. Our first year was in Yerushalayim. Now I'm 59. I was 56 when we made Aliyah. And I have children from my first marriage and my wife and I have four children. So my three older children, the oldest graduated high school when I got married to Shana and we, she came to a seminary at Harova. I'm already, I'm already um, a little bit confused. Just let's just keep it simple. Um, okay. You came so when you were. You came... <laughs> yeah. So we made Aliyah in 2019 because Anna, the youngest of the oldest kids, graduated high school in 2019. It was coming to seminary at MTC and Natanya, and Mayan, the oldest of the younger kids, was going into kindergarten or Ganhova here, and it was a perfect time that I didn't have any more responsibility for the first set of children. And the second set of children, we didn't want to wait longer. So that way they didn't have to, uh, like, you know, mess them up. So you're saying one key, the oldest of, the, of one group was starting gun, and the youngest of the other group was starting high school. So she good. Was not high school. She was finished with high school. Oh, okay. So okay. I had no more responsibility for the older kids okay. there. Okay. So very good. Now, you know, uh, I'll just, we're speaking to an audience here. Now, a lot of people wait on their aliyah um, for various reasons. And one of them is they say the kids are too old. 
Um, right. and, and it's been known, you know, come when your kids mm -hmm. are young. But I've met people, we've all met people who come when their kids are teenagers uh, or their kids are um, school age. And I'm not going to say it's a myth to come when your kids are little. But, yeah, it, it is easier. Um, but I don't want anyone out there to think, oh, can't do it because my kid's in third grade. Not true. It's not true. But I had to worry about an ex-wife who would not have given her permission for the older children to make Aliyah. And I wasn't okay. going to leave them behind. Yeah, you have a very interesting story um, that way. So, <laughs> so it's, it's good to share because you're not the only one with an interesting story. Our listeners all, right. all have interesting stories. And everyone's always looking for an excuse, I think, unfortunately, why we can't come. Why we want to come, but this, but that. Well, yeah, you overcame Right, so here things. are my excuses. Here are my excuses. I had the best job I ever had. I was running a housing agency. I was growing it. We, I mean, we grew like the agency in the six years I, I was there grew threefold. It, we were doing better services, more services. We expanded within the mission. Uh, I was kicking butt. I was like front and center doing great things in Detroit, helping the homeless. We were coming up with innovative ideas. I was making decent salary. Um, and, you know, my wife was working at the day school where the kids were in gone. And, you know, I had my parents were in the upper 80s and, you know, I didn't want to leave them behind. And, you know, my father had some challenges. And, I mean, I had all the, my whole life there. I, I lived practically my whole life in Detroit. So I had all these reasons to stay. But what kept flashing through my mind was the picture of the nefesh flight, which lands, and they take this 80 or 90-year-old guy and person on either side, and they help him down the stairs, and they lower him to the ground, and he kisses the tarmac, right? And he's finally here in Eretz Yisrael and Medinat Yisrael. He's so happy. And then they whisk him off to the old age home where he's going to die. And I, it's just, that's what was going through my mind. That's not everybody. It's not every 80 or 90-year-old who makes Aliyah, right? I'm not saying if you're 80 or 90, don't make Aliyah. So you should make Aliyah at whatever age you are, do it today. But all I said was I wanted to come to Israel to live, not to die. Right. I wanted to come to Israel with my kids that they'll grow up and, you know, you know, Baruch Hashem. And sadly, they will go in the army and defend our country and our people, Right. And, I don't know. That, I would. I would remove the sadly. I, I'm not sad about that. Well, that we have to have this. That we have. That we live in an environment in a neighborhood where we have to. Well, know, uh, let's turn. Let's just you know. Let, let, right. I, again, I don't think it's have. I think it's we. We are privileged to. Okay? We, You're right. We, we are privileged. We are very privileged to do this, and. No, but I. No, my. Yeah, you wanted to, but I get it. I, you're sending a very good message. Um, very good message. But that vision you had was for yourself. That was the vision that you were fearful of being you. What do you mean? Were you fearful of being that old man, getting off the plane? Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, want to come here to die. Right, all right. I wanted right. to come here to live. I right. wanted to come here to contribute. All right, good. I want to work, and I'm working. I want to contribute to the state of Israel, not just be a taker. I want to be a giver also as much as I can. I want to pay taxes. I want to, you know do things. I want to organize and help people to improve neighborhoods, improve whatever it is to whatever ability I have Great. to help our country be better than it is. Great. So good. So what happened? You, <laughs> you, you sat your parents down and you said, sorry, I'm going? Basically, and think, I mean, my brother, I have an older brother who lives in Detroit, so he's there, and actually 
one of his daughters and her family moved into a house my parents bought when they moved out of the Detroit house. So, you know, they have their kids, so there's somebody in the house taking care of them. And I have another niece who lives not far from where they are who's... Okay, so you did, okay, you, so you left them, but you didn't leave them alone. I didn't ditch them, right. I mean, if they were all alone, um, I don't know what I would have done. I would try to convince them to come mm-hmm. somehow, some way, you know, take a boat if you can't fly. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but it, you it never came up. Yeah, it didn't, didn't need to. You weren't, they're not alone. They were not alone. Right. But, and so my wife, she was one of seven kids and her parents were there. And, um, you know, and she knew that I wanted to make Aliyah when we met, when we got married and she bought into this and she was okay with this. And we started, you know, very un-Israeli. We started planning it, you know, three years out, you know, knowing which summer we're going to do it. We started looking at things. What did we need to do? What did we need to buy or do things financially and just prepare mentally to do? And we started trimming down and getting rid of stuff. And we did the application as soon as NBN opened up the application process and got whatever documents. I didn't want to be one of those people who can't get on the plane because some document wasn't available. And thank God this was before Corona. So, you know, there are a lot of things that people making Aliyah now have to do that we didn't. We don't have to get FBI checks. We renewed passports that were expiring. Um, the kids already had passports, but you know, there's one that had to be renewed. I had to renew my passport. So this is very good information. This is great. What what did you do um, to trim down? What, what what exactly did you do? That's very very important to, for everyone to hear this. So here here's the thing. Everybody has gone away for an extended period of time in their lives, whether it's gone to camp all summer, whether it's come to Israel for a year, maybe you did a year abroad someplace else, maybe you went for two weeks or longer to um, a cottage on the beach or something in the mountains or to visit relatives. Everybody has gone away for an extended period of time. And you take luggage and you realize when you get back home, you took too much. But what you realize is for an extended period of time, you can get by very well without a lot of the stuff that you have around at your house. And so, you know, in our example, in 2014, there was a massive flood in Detroit and our whole basement was flooded out and we had to throw out almost everything. By 2019, when we were cleaning up and getting rid of stuff, it like refilled again in just a few short years, mm. right? We gather and accumulate stuff and it's just insane how much stuff we have and I get it. I mean, there are things I know that from five years ago I need today and I won't need again for another 10 years. And it's there. I don't have to go buy it. But that's not really an efficient use of space or stuff. So what we did was uh, we started trimming down. What do we need for Israel? Dress code is very different and much more relaxed in Israel than America. Now, this is pre-COVID. It's probably more relaxed in America. Get rid of X, you know, how many pairs of slacks do you need? How many, you know, I got, I had a tuxedo. I got it. I didn't need it. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, suits right. you I don't need. Uh, okay. I, right. But you know what? You may need a suit. Fine. You know, and what I kept was I kept uh, two suits and then I had an Armani jacket, which I got at the secondhand shop for $25 and a Carl Stern's jacket. Also double breasted. It's beautiful. Have I worn either of them in the last three years? No. In my suits, I've worn probably a total of three days. I wore it the first Shabbat we were here because we went to Ramat Beit Shemesh to my brother-in-law. And then 
in shul, but I haven't worn a suit in shul, except maybe Rosh Hashanah. Okay, this is great. This is great information. Nobody has told us this. Everyone listening out there, the dress code in Israel, which we don't ever talk about. This is so great. I'm so glad you're on. Um, the you. dress code here is, it is different. Um, true. Uh, in most places. Now, when you say you wore it once, uh, or you wore it in Beit Shemesh, so the Beit Shemesh dress code is different than Susia, where I live. But in, in the, a lot of places, a white shirt and tan pants is what people wear for shul. And, yeah, um, it's... sandals, you know, some people, and then in the winter, um, you know, hiking shoes, or we call them blendstonim. That's what right. people wear. That's what you wear. Um, right. right. The only person who wears a jacket in our community is the rabbi with no tie. It's not a suit. He just wears a jacket, like a, a like you would call a, what would you, what do you call those things? A blazer? Yeah. A blazer um, and a pair of slacks. Yeah. He, yeah he, so he, he's the only one who does that to, 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 I guess, to distinguish himself. Um, and I think only when it's winter. So like, nobody, yeah, you, there's no need for it. Um, my husband wears a tie for the kids' bar mitzvahs, and that is it. He's never worn a suit here. Yeah, there are no right, ties. It's, it's funny. You don't, well, you don't here's the thing about ties. If you have a tie or two ties or three ties you like, bring them. They don't take up much space, yeah. and they're not going to take up much space in your closet. But the other thing we have to think about is most of us do not come from Manhattan, right, where you're paying $4,000 a month for you know, 800 square foot apartment and you have to have very little with you, where you pay more to rent a parking space for your car than most people in the rest of the country pay for their 2,000 square foot apartment. What, what are you trying to say? Just to say it. What I'm saying is there's very little space to keep stuff here in Israel. There, in America, a closet is part of a room. In Israel, a room is simply four walls, a door, and maybe a window. So you have to buy a closet that you put in. I mean, it's we have little space. You have, you know, dressers. Everything is smaller, so you need to bring less stuff. You know, one of the things I learned was looking at what soldiers do, because soldiers pack everything in a, in a duffel bag, and that's it. And things like they roll their underwear, it takes up less space. Roll their undershirts, their T-shirts, whatever it is. And as you do that, you can pack what you need into your drawers in your dresser here. But it's the same thing when you're in America or Canada or Europe or wherever you're making South America, wherever you're making Aliyah from. The thing to do is try to think, what are you going to need in Israel and get rid of everything else? And you may keep stuff to the end and have someone carted away because you've left. Mm. But what are you going to need in Israel? And then you separate it between I'm getting a lift because everything comes in tax free. So I'm going to bring stuff with me, but I'm not going to have it. Now, it has to be stuff that won't be damaged by extreme heat because a lift is simply a big metal box that sits on a boat for two months. So it's going to absorb all the sun's rays and it's going to be bounced around. So, you know, you're careful about what you do for that, what you pack. But we brought dishes, uh, not dishes. We brought um, cookingware, right? Some pots, like pans, some silverware and stuff like that. So we'd have stuff to eat with when we got to our apartment here in Israel. But we used to have tons of dishes because, you know, we had the space, right? We had our Pesach dishes. We had our So did you pack, did you, did you bring those on the lift or not? Some we brought and other stuff we got new here. So the types of things that you want to bring on your lift are the types of things that are very expensive in Israel or the types of things that have meaning to you. Um, I've sent all my books on the lift because weight is irrelevant. 
But but room, how about the space? You keep talking about space. Do you have space in your home for books? Um, we have space in our home for some books mm-hmm. and all the rest of the books I got rid of, mm. right? But there are books written by family members or things that matter to me. There's some books I wanted to read. Yeah, let me let me interrupt here for just a minute, please. Um, you're 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 touching on a lot of really really good points, and I hope our listeners are are absorbing them because it's very important. Um, two things: one, people here call bookshelves a library. I, I find that kind of funny, and that could be just like five shelves, um, not even very long shelves or big shelves covered with, with books. So people do live modestly in in that sense here. A library in someone's home is a few shelves of books. Um, And another thing I want to point out um, that, Nathaniel, you keep saying um, what you're going to need in Israel. You need to know what you're going to need. Now, now there are people who don't know uh, where they're going. They don't have an apartment or a home yet. So for those people, what, what kind of advice can you give? There are Facebook groups for people making Aliyah, making Aliyah this year, or maybe they have it through the particular location they're coming from. You think about what your needs are for where you're moving to. For example, are you going to be looking for work in that area? Maybe you're high tech, then you need to be accessible to the greater Tel Aviv area. What I found when our visits here was that uh, along the coastal plain, as beautiful it is and as wonderful as the communities are, right, um, we just much preferred less humidity. We come from Michigan, which has a lot of humidity. So we ended up in Jerusalem, and now we live in Efrat, where it gets cool at night. And even when it's, you know, 90 and 100 degrees, it's not 90% humidity. So I feel better about it. i just much rather live here, and even if I have a longer commute. That it's all personal choice. Right, it's all personal choice. Um, but right. um, but but, but your answer, you answered my question, and I want everyone to hear that. If you are planning or thinking, definitely join these different Facebook groups, WhatsApp chats, get in touch with people who are here, and ask questions. That's what you wanted to say. Ask questions, and you'll you yes. will get answers. You will get answers. You're not the first person to make Aliyah. There are a lot of us here from different countries. Tons of Americans are here. Probably two hundred thousand of us are here living all over the place. Now, you live in Efrat, which is a very popular community for English speakers. Why don't you tell us how you chose it? And I, I like the fact that you came here, you lived one place, and then you moved. That's, that's very common, and that's something that I think is very important, that you don't need to plan your entire life while you're still in your home country. You can come and try out a place for a year. Is that what you did? Tell, tell us about that. We sold our house in Detroit. So my adult daughter was living in Jerusalem and she was checking out apartments for us and another friend also. So as Natalie said, look at who you know or who may be able to help you, right? And, and to do things. And these are time-consuming activities. We rented when we got here. And then our second year, my wife's sister was going to make Aliyah and her husband did not want to live in Yerushalayim. They had a brother in Beit Shemesh and they didn't want to move to Jerusalem. So my wife looked at uh, Afrat, which was less expensive than Jerusalem, a good place to come to. Okay, so we have actually, and then the next year, her parents and another sister made Aliyah. So like nice. my wife's family is here in Afrat. Uh, we came here because it was less expensive and because of other people in the family, what they wanted to do. And the kids have been flourishing here. It's a smaller community. The kids are more, a lot more free. In America, you're afraid the kids for your kids to walk down the street. And here, 
you know, you know, the five-year-old takes the three-year-old to God, you know, it's, it's, it's different. And you're in, it's not like you're being an irresponsible parent, you know, the route they're going, you know, they're not crossing streets, you know, this, you know, that you've done it with them. And, you know, you're not gonna let them go very far if they don't know the way uh, for us, they don't have to cross the street to go to either my sister-in-law or to God. So it's easy, but it's how we chose to be here. We have friends who moved to Renana. They originally wanted to move to Afrat. They chose Renana because they had three kids in Israel and they just chose for proximity to where their children were and they didn't have job worries because they were tired. Everybody chooses, you know, based on where they're going. But we were interested when we came to Afrat. And so this is where we're going to stay for a while because the kids are in school and we have a community here now. The people jump around and move two, three, four times we have lived in three different apartments in Efrat in two years because of circumstances. But, and we eventually bought here. Okay. Um, um, tell, tell me about your career. You, you, you said it's been, it's been difficult. So we got here and I was looking for a job. I'd done fundraising philanthropy in America, uh, but the pre last six years from 2013 to 2016, that was only part of my job as executive director of a housing agency, uh, which I liked a lot more as doing with operations and uh, staffing and budgeting. Like I was really doing a lot of different things. Um, so we came here and, um, you know, I rushed getting a job. I shouldn't have, but I rushed getting a job. We came here in July and already less than a month later, I had a great paying job. Um, at a news agency as the managing director. I managed the non-news operations. We had a managing editor who managed the uh, news operations. And although I do have a background in journalism, but they like that. And actually I applied for a job as a copy editor and they offered me the job as managing director in part because it included fundraising. So it was a very challenging environment for fundraising because it's not, people don't generally give to uh, news organizations. It's a, it's a new thing in America to donate to news agencies. And then Corona hit and I was the most expendable because the news still had to be put out every day. And so then that ended uh, right around um, after Purim. And then um, I got a, got a, you know, I started to do fundraising again and I had a couple temporary things and then I've been working with an organization called Daigle Ami, which is run by a fantastic guy. He's a former drummer, a musician. He ran a co-automation in Montreal. And uh, everyone seems to know him. And he has the gift for just connecting and building relationships with the very wealthy in North America. And so his success is really connecting with those people. And we have... We're a boutique agency with um, a small number of agencies that we represent. Um, but, you know, income's been up and down because agencies have come and go and uh, payments are higher and lower. So really that's been the challenge because I want to make a living and I want to be able to provide for the family. I'm not looking to replicate my salary back in America. I'm just looking to, you know, keep the mortgage paid, put food on the table, let us go on vacation, let us be able to afford to go see my parents who are now in their 90s. Um, 
regularly because how much more will we get to see them? Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's expensive. Flights are expensive. Uh, that's not normal Israeli budgeting. Right. <laughs> okay. That's not... Uh, it's only budgeting. Yeah, but that's not normal Israeli budgeting. How about your wife? Is, uh, has she been successful here um, professionally? Uh, no. So what happened was she was a, she had been a, a, she was a paramedic when we met. And she did that for a while. And she stayed in, uh, did variations of that until, um, for a variety of reasons, uh, but driven by the fact that we had very small children, she took a job at the day school. So she then, which is where they went to the Gan, so that way she would have their schedules. She would go with them. She would come home with them. When school was closed, she was home. And it also provided health insurance. So we did that. And then when we came to Israel, this is one of the things about doing the legwork, getting preparation, talking to as many people as you can. And usually that helps, and sometimes it doesn't. And she still has been a, has not been able to get a straight answer on, say, converting her paramedic license, or her basic license to um, or license to basic in Israel, because every time she talks to someone at Mada Hatzala or whoever, they give her a different answer. Even the same person will give her a different answer on two different phone calls. So she hadn't done that. Um, recently, she was working as a store manager, and then, um, you know, it's typical because of inflation, recession, everything else. The store actually is facing some financial issues and basically got rid of all the management staff, the back office staff, the owners, they stepped in and they're doing what they had staff doing before. Mm-hmm. So right now she's looking for a job. Okay. So it's hard. It is hard. Um, and this is what I've kind of glad we're talking because some people come on the air, they're retired, they have money and they're just like, Oh, Israel's the greatest. Oh, we've had no problems. And I'm like, it's not easy for everybody. You know, like we got to show people that the hard parts, um, yeah, it is a change. Not everyone is successful. Sometimes you do have to change your career and start a completely different one. Um, and just right. take any job you can. And it doesn't matter if you're 56 or if you're 26. It's, you know, it, it's hard. It's very hard. And this is one of the reasons people don't move here. This is not something to minimize because you're right. You need to put food on the table and you need to provide for your family. You know, you don't want to come here and be poor. Right. But, you know, coming to Israel was not a career decision. It was a life decision. Marrying my wife wasn't a career decision. Having children wasn't a career decision. They were life decisions. Right. And this is what I look at. It's like, you know, we talk about, um, you know, in the end days when those who are buried in Israel, will, it will be closer to Mashiach than those buried in Chuzlaretz. And you know what? I want to be here. <laughs> and, you know, I want to come here on an airplane after I'm dead. I want to come here beforehand. Right. So, right. you know, this is the life. Israel is great. Even if I'm having financial issues, Israel is wonderful and it's great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's the best decision we've ever made was to right. come here and do i miss things about america sure do i miss the cheap prices at target or the variety at myers which is michigan's walmart yeah sure but do i care about it not that much okay well thank you for um speaking with me and sharing your experience and i hope everyone listening um gained something and learned something and if you have any questions, please contact me at natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. I'll be happy to pass on your questions to Nathaniel. And, yes. um, you know, keep them coming. Keep writing to me. Keep calling. It's, uh, 
you know, Aliyah is easier for some and harder for others, but it is the best place to be as a Jew. get the inside news on Israel. At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Carr from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio 